Hi, and welcome to the Time for the Good News podcast, the place where you'll hear nothing but good news. We are your hosts, Susan and Dan Grantfield. Welcome to this episode of Time for the Good News. And we realise it's been a long time since we recorded our last, last podcast, and that's because we weren't sure if it had any further scope. But we found something out, haven't we? We did. Um, we found out that 90% of news in the media is negative. Incredible. And 95% of headlines have been reported as being blown out of proportion to manipulate readers' emotions. I mean, that, what's that all about? That's like brain control. Yeah, yeah. So we, we looked at that and thought, wow, given that the reason that we started this podcast, or one reason, was we wanted to bring a bit more balance to the media, it feels like we've still got quite a long way to go. So we want to kind of boost that 10% of, of um, news in the media that is maybe positive. Absolutely. And address that 90% imbalance. So, yeah, so we, we spent a bit of time thinking, do we still want to do the podcast? Yeah. And the answer was, yeah. The thing is, our stories are out there in the media, mm. but you have to find them and they're not headlines. And a lot of them should be headlines. Really. Yeah, it's sensational headlines um, that t- you know, tend to be in the mainstream media. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. We, we're, not, we're not magically creating these stories. They are there. Um, we just want to bring them to you. Um and so I guess that's, so here we are, episode nine, um, and we decided we're going to keep doing it. As long as we can find good news stories, we're going to keep bringing them to you. Um, and, you know, we also get, we're getting some really nice feedback from people. And uh, an avid listener of ours, Stella, um, she had shared the podcast with a friend of hers who's going through a bit of a tricky time just now. And the comment that Stella shared with me was, uh, her friend had said, what a tonic, that Scottish couple. So she obviously thinks you're Scottish. Um, <laughs> I love them. So thank you for your insight into helping me along this bumpy road I'm travelling. So that's really nice to think that, you know, in some way we're giving people a bit of a boost through these good news stories. Fantastic. Absolutely. So shall we kick off then? Sure. Well, I've got a very cute story. Mm. So the thousands captive bred hazel dormouse has been released into the wild in a UK-wide reintroduction scheme as they're endangered. Uh, There's been a 51% decline in dormouse in the UK since the year 2000. All right. So it's a very recent uh, thing. The problem apparently is hedgerows. Hedgerows are huge habitats for so many different creatures Uh, and the reduction or mismanagement of hedgerows has led to uh, this decline. There's 17 counties in England where they're now officially extinct from. mm -hmm. They're very cute, so I'd advise Mm -hmm. anyone to Google dormice uh, and have a look at them they're not kind of creepy little no. mice that you think ooh these are mice they're very uh, small big brown eyes very sleepy yeah we'll, we'll post a picture and in fact a little video on our Facebook page <laughs> yeah. so you can see it so a charity which is the People's Trust for Endangered Species um, Natural England and the University of Cumbria have taken another 15 breeding pairs to a secret location in the Arnside and Silverdale area in Lancashire where they still have the shrub layer of, um, in woodland that they also need. If they're not in hedgerows, it's the shrub layer, uh-huh. uh, things like hazel. Uh-huh. I think you know, kind of, that's where these mice live. Mm. And it's that kind of stuff that's been cleared from a lot of woodlands and mm-hmm. forests, uh, which is another reason for the habitat decline. So it's part of the University of Cumbria's BOOM project. BOOM project? BOOM, yeah. Okay. Or back on our map, it stands for, oh. which makes sense. Um, these dormice that were released were bred at London Zoo and then transported 250 miles by car 
in special dormice nest boxes. And these were made by the inmates or prisoners of Her Majesty's Prison of Doncaster and Humber. Oh, right. Okay. So I, it made me smile. Mm. Prisoners helping mice. Yeah. It's, a, it's, yeah. A, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, it has also been proven that reintroduction works, especially with um, the ab- adaptation um, and the way of the habitats that they're in. So an improvement in the habitats and the reintroduction working together is really effective. Mm-hmm. Um, dormice facts for you. A baby dormouse is the size of a raisin. Wow. Yep, yep. So when it's born, it's the size of, size a, of a raisin. raisin yeah. My goodness. It's an ancient native species, uh, present in Britain since the Ice Age, 10,000 years mm. ago. So common were they in Victorian times, kids would trade them in the playground. Mm-hmm. All right. Beatrix Potter had a pet dormouse. Really? I wonder if that was an inspiration for some of her books. Oh, maybe. (laughs) It takes 20 minutes for a dormouse to open a hazelnut. (laughs) Right, okay. You can be fined £5,000 or go to prison for six months for disturbing, injuring or killing a hazel dormouse. Wow. Or damaging its habitat. Right. A female dormouse produces one litter per year with about four or five offspring each time. I think this has also got something to do with it because uh, house mice and field mice produce huge amounts. Yeah. So they're also fairly low kind of number breeders. Uh-huh. But there you go. Dormice uh, being reintroduced into the UK. Very cute. Uh, there are some wild ones still, obviously, but they need to boost the numbers mm. so they don't go completely extinct. Huh. Who knew there were so many facts that one could share about dormice? Thank you for that, Dan. I've kind of fallen in love with them because they're so cute. Yeah, so. yeah. And we will post that video on Facebook, so have a look because it's, it's very cute. Very cute. Ah, oh, nice good news story to start with. Well, I'm going to move us into um, sort of environmental climate change. Um, a couple of stories to share on that. Um, and this one is very um, sort of close to me in terms of it's based in Glasgow. So this is an there's an urban forest um, being created in Glasgow called the Clyde Climate Forest. Um, so basically, what's happening is ten trees per resident um, are being planted over the next decade. So that equates to um, eleven million saplings, which will create twenty percent tree cover in the city. Cool. Now, some people might know that Glasgow is often referred to as the Deer Green Place, which is a derivative of the Gaelic word for Glasgow. Um, Glasgow has more green spaces and parks per capita than any other city in Europe. 90 parks and green spaces already within Glasgow. So it seems kind of fitting um, to be expanding that and to be creating even more of the deer green place through this um, Clyde Climate Forest. So, you know, as you might imagine, it's about increasing biodiversity, um, contribute to tackling climate change, and it's also about improving wellbeing for residents. Um, and there's a principle that they're working to called the right tree in the right place. So the project team aims to plant trees in areas of deprivation, former coal mining sites, vacant derelict land, um, urban streets and other civic places. So, I mean, I, I can't wait to see what it's going to look like, but there, there's That's a real sense. thought going into this. And, and as I say, you know, I like the climate change angle to it, but also the well-being part, um, because... We, it's well well known now that being in nature and being around green spaces is really good for, for people. So, yeah, so the deer green place is going to get even greener. And trees and, you know, planting of lots of trees creates creates green spaces and also creates habitats. Yes, yeah. And also um, carbon sequestration, mm-hmm. isn't it, as well? Yeah. So it's got a lot of benefits to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. 
and I guess as a very you know Glasgow was a very industrial city um you know so you can imagine the amount of pollution that there would have been there back mm. in the day mm. so it seems again you know I love the whole idea of balance so it's, it's bringing nice balance to it so that was my first story and the second one is you know sort of staying within the the climate change environment sort of realm um, and I thought this is really interesting. In 2020, for the first time, renewables were the UK's main source of electricity for the whole year, not just the summer, which was right. quite interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, in the UK, we use, there's various forms of green energy. So there's a lot of, you know, wind turbines, um, you know, in the sea, solar panels on roofs. There's even in the Shetland Islands, there's a sea-powered electrical vehicle charging point. Cool. You know, so if you've got a, an electric car, yeah. you can plug in and it's sea powered. Cool. Does it work when the tide's out? Good question. I don't All know. Right, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I shall, I shall find out and report right, cool. back. And there's, um, and so there's this project, this was the, the sort of main bit of the story, this project called the United Downs Project um, in Cornwall. And it's the UK's first geothermal energy project. So they're going like really deep into the um, yeah. into the earth, um, and so it's undergoing final testing. And if it all goes to plan, then from this um, uh, this project, they should be exporting electricity to the grid by twenty twenty two, producing three megawatts of ele- um, electricity on a constant basis, powering seven thousand homes and approximately twelve megawatt somethings of heat. I'm not very good at the technical stuff, but a oh, lot. Yeah, a lot. A lot. Hot. And it's going to be, yeah, yeah. And I just think, uh, you know, it's it's just the innovative nature of, of um, you know, energy production and where we get our energy from. Mm. And I think mm. in the UK, I mean, I don't, I don't know enough about it, but it seems in the UK we're, mm. you know, we're really tapping into all the different mm. possible options. Absolutely. And that's what I love. It's, you know, looking yeah. at what, what's the solution that's already there that we can just yeah. build on. But we still have to find these stories. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It should be on the BBC News at nine o'clock. Yeah. You know, yeah. Stuff, yeah. I, I think the other thing about this story was um, that you know plants like this one. Um, it's not just about electricity. So um, the guy who's running it said that there's a whole industry that develops around them. So you know the the, the sale of heat for industrial processes or agriculture, mineral extraction from the fluids, and alcoholic fluids. So planning permission has been granted from Cornwall Council for a £5 million research centre for maturing and distilling rum. Nice. So it'll be sitting right next to this United Down site um, and it'll provide research centre. Uh, it'll provide the research centre with heat and electricity. And the, the centre aims to be a template for carbon neutral distilling in the UK. Producing booze as well. Fabulous. What's not to like? Yeah, especially rum. Yeah. yeah nice. Yeah. So there we go. On a similar vein, we're talking about energy. Now, a lot of you listeners might remember that I mentioned a story in a few podcasts ago about the mega amp spherical tokamak. Oh, yes, the tokamak. Mm -hmm. uh, Which the boffins at the Cullum Centre for Fusion Energy Mm -hmm. had built and had turned it on in 2020, didn't they? Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if you all remember, but Fusion Energy is about clean, limitless energy unlike fission or our present nuclear reactors that produce radiation. Mm -hmm. Fusion is the opposite and doesn't produce radiation, but there's massive amounts of heat involved and that's one of the challenges of um, fusion. So good news Mm -hmm. is the Super X Diverter, Mm -hmm. sounds like something out of Marvel or something like that, doesn't it? (laughs) 
um, that was designed to reduce the massive heat load has been shown to work. Hey. I can't even, I don't even know how to express the heat figures that it talks about. Mm. There's lots of M's and 2's and 4's and things like that. So it's very, <laughs> There's it was, a lot. It reduced it from really, really hot to hot. <laughs> so, um, so that works, which means that the parts inside the mega amp spherical tokamak, or mass to you as it's also known, will last longer and won't oh. need to be replaced as often, which means it's getting closer to being commercially oh. viable for the production of energy. Because mm-hmm. the parts in it are very expensive. Mm. This thing gets so hot, everything melts, melts or stops working. So they constantly have to stop it to replace the parts mm-hmm. and all that. So mass U is gaining information to build step U or the spherical tokamak for energy production. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to build step U by 2040, um, which will be commercial power stations that produce clean energy from nuclear fusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's advancing and yeah. it's becoming more viable. You know, so mm-hmm. that's the good news in that. And I think, you know, I I don't think we should, from what I've read about this, I don't think we should underestimate the amount of energy that uh, nuclear fusion can produce mm. um, and how much safer it is than mm. nuclear fission. Yeah. Um, well, and so. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Sort of nuclear power has a, has a bit of a bad rap and yes, a lot of does, people yeah. are kind of anti it, but yeah. it sounds like there's... But it produces huge amounts of energy. Yeah. Even fission produces huge amounts of energy, mm-hmm. but obviously we've had the problems of Fukushima, Chernobyl... Mm-hmm. Um, and it's questionable what it does to the sea around mm-hmm. around them as well when it changes in the sea. It might just be the heat though, but mm. um, you know they're always they use seawater to cool, yeah. Which is so they they change the environment around um, the areas where they are, the coastlines where they are. Um, but no, it's good news that this this experiment mm. and it's in the UK, yeah, as well. So it's good. Yeah, I think without even thinking about it, we've done a lot of UK stories in, the, in this yeah, episode. Yeah, we have, yeah, we have, certainly have. And, and, but great, and I think, you know, wherever any of these things go, the one thing I think that, that I'm taking from some of the, these stories we've shared so far is the potential. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. The good news is, is the potential, the potential solutions to some of our big problems yeah, are yeah, already yeah. there. I mean, there are fusion experiments throughout the world. Yes, of yeah, course. Yeah. So yeah. It's, a, it's a worldwide, yeah. it's a worldwide thing. Yeah. I've just, because I've mentioned this one before, we've mm-hmm. seen some updates about results from the previous story I thought yeah. it was important to mention it brilliant I'm going to move us into the world of food um, so I came across a couple of stories um, which um, I just think are great so the first one is there's an app called um, Too Good To Go um, and it's an anti-food waste app so the, the mission of it is to inspire and empower everyone to take action against food waste so you know that's that's hopefully some some good news there um it's it's an app that you download you put in your location and you find what they call magic bag deals for the day so you've got um you know food retailers like greg's um for example in the uk or costa coffee or something like that and they've got food that is just going to go to waste and they put it onto the app and you can you know wherever you happen to be in the uk i think it's global actually yeah it is actually it's global so wherever you are in the world you can see what magic food bag deals are there for you. Oh, right. um, so the, um, the, the, their intention, their aims are they want to inspire 50 million households, work with 75,000 businesses, inspire 500 schools and impact the regulations around food waste in five countries. So 
it's not just just an app that's about mm, you sharing food. It, it yeah. has a really big um, sort of intention there. Um, th- almost 39 million members um, globally already of this community. Yeah, and the statistic that stood out for me is that a third of food produced in the world is wasted. A third of food mm. produced in the world is wasted and Terrible. contributes to 8% of greenhouse gas emissions. Well, and also the production of that f- wasted food. Yeah. Is just a, a double whammy of waste, yeah, isn't it? It's yeah. the energy production to produce yeah. a third of it is wasted. So, too good to go um, is the app, um, and again, you know, this is this in itself is not going to solve things, mm. but it's a step forward. Mm. And the other one that I wanted to share around food was um, there's a place um, in East Seventeen in London, uh, the postcode East Seventeen, um, called Eggs and Bread. And their strapline is everyone deserves a good start to the day. So basically, every morning, seven days a week, this place is open. They only serve boiled eggs, toast, jam, and tea and coffee. So you'd be you'd be yeah, right I'd home be there. Right you'd love there. a boiled, boiled egg. Eggs, yeah. um, and you cook you cook it for yourself. So I mean, it's all safe and hygienic and all of those things. You you go in, you cook it yourself. There's communal tables. So there's it's emphasising personal responsibility. You know, cooking and the cleaning. You connect with people. Um, and there's the humanity side there. It's like they're just providing, you know, your first meal of the day to anyone. You pay or don't pay. Mm, mm. Um, so it's kind of an honesty oh, kind of system. Yeah, okay. um, and so far they've served um, 1,300 eggs, 2,900 slices of bread, 2,700 cups of coffee um, and 4,000 cups of tea. So tea is still outstripping tea coffee is, in the UK. Yes. Well, it's not outstripping, it's just slightly... No, no, but it's still more, yeah. So eggs and bread. So if you're in, in London, um, check them out. Um, so yeah, I love those Where stories. is it in London again? E- E17. I can't remember the Walton exact... Space. Yeah, I can't remember the exact there, yeah, okay. um, address. So yeah, some good news stories there around food and Fantastic. connecting people. And Well, I'm going to bring you back to wildlife. Yes, wildlife. So two, <laughs> two 17-year-old boys in Staffordshire, the county of my birth, oh. have decided to challenge themselves and replace toads, frogs and lizards that we have lost in this country, the species of. They're so going to replace them? They have built a breeding centre for amphibians and reptiles on a piece of derelict land, as I said, in Staffordshire. They're in the middle of their A-levels during a global pandemic, mm. um, but it's already started. So... Harvey Tweets and Tom Whitehurst, as I said, their mission is to restore extinct species in the UK. They've set up a company called Celtic Reptile and Amphibian, mm. and hopefully it will soon soon be the biggest outdoor breeding centre for amphibians and reptiles in the UK. Um, this may appear ambitious, um, but these two lads are actually pa- pa- passionate environmentalists as well, mm. and if we had a bit longer, then they've, you can see from their childhood, mm-hmm. their a bit like my nephews mm-hmm. running around with bugs, yeah. messing around in ponds, yeah. all that kind of stuff. But that's gone on into there, into there as they've got older. They have the financial backing mm-hmm. of rewilding advocate Ben Goldsmith, who's the brother of Zach Goldsmith, who's the UK's environment minister. Oh, um, and a chap called Charlie Burrell, who owns the NEP estate in West Sussex, which has been rewilded completely. Mm-hmm. So an example of, uh, of their uh, of amphibians is a moor frog. They've started breeding moor frogs. They're mm-hmm. extinct in the UK. Um, but these guys are planning to return them to the wild. Mm-hmm. They've also got plans to return the eyed lizard to the UK. And this, this will get you. Yeah? An mm-hmm. eyed lizard can grow up to a metre long. Oofed. 
So a big meter long lizard slithering about, oh, slithering about snakes and wandering about. Uh-huh. So a, a great example of two young yeah. lads with a real with a real passion for something in the middle of their exams. They've actually built this, yeah. started building this centre. They're actually breeding <laughs> some types of turtles that used to exist right. in the UK. European turtle, various frogs uh, and lizards as well. So a great project. Yeah. Yeah, and a big uh, pat on the back for them. Brilliant. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. 17 years old. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Well... That's lots of good news. It is indeed, yeah. yeah. So. It's been, been good to get back to looking for the good news stories and sharing them with everyone. And we will, um, if you haven't already looked at our Facebook page, Susan and Dan's podcast, um, we put links um, to the stories there so you can see, obviously, pictures and little videos and if you want to learn more about any of them. So please do go over there and have a look. Um, and as ever, we'd love to hear um, your stories, what's going on in your part of the world. So you can email me, susan at susangrandfield.com, and you can email Dan. Or dan at bluecragsconsulting.com. Yeah, so do get in touch. Um, we'd love to share your stories. Also, get in touch and let us know which story you particularly enjoyed from this episode. And I do recommend watching the video of the snoring dormice. Yeah, the snoring dormice. Yes, we'll leave you with that. Uh, we'll leave you with that one to go and look at. Okay, until our next episode. Bye for now. Bye for now. <laughs>